Rugby on the Raw. Hi everyone, Brett McKay from the Raw Rugby Podcast here again, letting you know that Harry Jones and I will be back in just a few weeks to kick off another massive season of weekly pods and instant reactions, and with a solid hit list of guests already building. But in the meantime, the Raw's rugby editor, Christy Doran, is continuing on his series of pre-season chats, getting around to all five of the Australian Super Rugby Pacific franchises for a conversation with their respective head coaches. As with his chat with Kevin Foote a few weeks ago, the aim of these chats is to bring us all closer to the Super Rugby teams and gaining a unique insight into who these coaches are. I'm sure you'll learn something in this next chat too, and we obviously hope that you enjoy them over the next couple of weeks before Harry and I return with the weekly pods for the start of Super Rugby Pacific. So with thanks to the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate, here's Christy Doran with the next edition of his pre-season chats with New South Wales Waratahs head coach Darren Coleman. Rugby on the Raw. Hello and welcome back to this special edition of the Rural Rugby Podcast. It's a privilege to be joined today by the Waratahs head coach, Darren Coleman. Darren, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Chrissy. Thanks for having me on. Darren, it's always that time of the year, isn't it? It's uh, coming up to trial matches, uh, the anticipation Eddie Jones is back. But before all that, you had a pretty big milestone to celebrate not long ago. Tell me, um, 50 years young. Yeah, yeah, no, hit the uh, hit the half ton. Probably not as big a news as uh, as Eddie's return, but um, for me, and my friends and family, it was uh, yeah, it was a great weekend. We celebrated in uh, up in Newcastle near my brother, one of my brother's uh, establishments, and um, yeah, had a great crew of family and friends there, and um, yeah, fancy dress and a, and a bit of bit of music and and the old ale. It was uh, it was really good. I was really enjoyed it. Theme. We did have a theme. We went uh, Woodstock, so I have a bit of a theory that uh, yeah, you get people uh, you get to a party and it's a fancy dress or a theme. I think it's a good little icebreaker, and people arrive in a good spirit, smiling and 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 being happy, and and it kicked off with that, and uh, and everyone had a great time. Had a couple of interesting characters there. I saw a couple of photos doing the rounds on social media, but uh, it probably goes to show a little bit about your personality that lots of Former Wallabies, guys from other walks of life. I think Michael McGuire, the uh, former Rabbitohs and West Tigers, New Zealand head coach, um, doing some work with the Raiders at the moment. He, he was there as well. Yeah, no, it was uh, that was probably the best thing about it. I had I had high school mates, I had college mates from my time up at Lismore University, and and pretty one, pretty much someone from every one of the thousand clubs I've been at since had had a buddy or two there. So. Um, and it was good. They all travelled to, to get up to Newey and we had a great weekend. It was for a lot of us left kids behind and with babysitters and it was just a good way for for, for friends to sort of connect and, and have a good time with um, and let their hair down a bit. You've jam-packed a fair bit in 50 years, uh, as <laughs> you mentioned. I think the first time that you said that we spoke to you on the media, um, you were maybe at the Staples Centre and you said, oh, I've been to more clubs than Tiger Wood has in his, in his bag. Yeah. yeah. No, that was, uh, that's true. It's, um, yeah, a bit of occupational hazard, a bit of, uh, I lack a bit of focus and concentration to stay. I get bored pretty quick, I guess. Uh, sometimes I've moved to my own volition. Sometimes it's, it's, it's not your decision, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't change it. Like, oh, I've had an amazing 
football, rugby, and into coaching journey, and and it's taken me to so many places I would never have got had it not been for the sport. Canada, Italy, Japan, Ireland, uh, and now back here, and um, and a little bit more settled and a bit more older and mature. I'd like to think, and married with kids now, and uh, in in what's uh, I've heard termed as my dream job, and it's not far off it, and um, and just uh, enjoying life. It is one of the more remarkable journeys, your coaching career, because you see international coaches and Eddie Jones is back, as we mentioned, and he might have been at Japan and England and South Africa, but you've kind of scaled the world at various provincial clubs, clubs that people have never heard of and multiple shoot shield clubs too. Yeah, and actually, funnily enough, on the Eddie story, I've I've only met him twice really and uh, after coming back from four years in, in the wilderness, I was between Canada and Italy and in leagues that no one here would have ever heard of. Uh, I bumped into him at a course actually at Narrabeen Academy of Sport. And he said, G'day, we're passing through a quadrangle. There's only us two in the room, uh, in the in the vicinity. And he said, G'day, again. I said, Good. He said, I noticed you, you won those couple of comps in Canada and you you got your team promoted in Italy. And uh, it hit home on, on his front that he's got his finger in, in every pie or he's got his finger on the pulse. He knows what's what's going on in every part of the world in rugby. And uh, for me, um, yeah, I, I think obviously uh, you want to push yourself to the highest level, but I don't value my self-worth or what I do as to, as to the level of football I'm coaching. Like I've said it multiple times before, if every day I can wake up and my job is to go and work with a bunch of athletes that are motivated and 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 united for a cause and having a good time in doing it i'll get up and spring out of bed whether it's we're playing in front of 50 blokes and a dog or whether we're playing in front of 50,000 it doesn't worry me what what drew you to coaching and rugby specifically because i'm led to believe you spent a bit of time at the beach growing up and mm. um the surf life surf um club that was a, a big part of your growing up and belonging yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, my, my my biggest, I guess, mentor and influence was my dad and one of four brothers and he, we were just sports mad and, and dad facilitated and, and did that. Like, so we're, you're, you're playing cricket. If you're a local village, you're, you're competing for your surf club and the surf club movement, I always thought, is and still does, is such a great movement. Like, it's it's based on volunteerism. You, you're, you compete, you train hard to compete in whether it's on the sand or in the water or in a boat. You, you train hard for it, you compete hard, and then you you pack up your your own devices or your own equipment after it, and um and you got to do voluntary uh, patrol hours. So I thought that was great, and then obviously into your footy. My dad was a an old rugby league player, and we ended up at the little place of Southwest Rocks through his football. He sort of went up to captain coach uh, one of the local rugby league teams when he'd finished with Penrith here in Sydney. So that's where we we sort of bunkered down. Or put down roots and um yeah and so it's it's purely off my dad like i i was and we were he always pushed not pushed us but encouraged us to get into that so i remember being 10 and 11 12 years old starting to coach my brothers in their under sixes and under sevens teams and then i had an interest in physical education and uh yeah it was just it was a bit, a bit of a cycle i love competing and, and doing my own thing in sport but i also loved coaching and, and doing that as well you, you've got a godfather mm. not just um 
any godfather mm. either. He, he played a bit of rugby league, didn't he? Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a good man, Roycey Simmons. Yeah, he's uh, no, he's a good man. We uh, him and Dad were mates. They uh, they played a bit of footy together out west, actually, when when Dad left Penrith, and um, he's always been a good. Um, yeah, we, we, I wouldn't say like over time you, you drift apart. Obviously, uh, don't see each other as much as you should or, or could. But um, yeah, it's a little uh, tidbit, I guess, that people hang on to. But um, yeah, he's a good man, Royce. He's always he's a character as well. So um, he, he's gone through his own battles now. So uh, we actually have caught up a lot more in the last two years than we we did probably in the last twenty. So um, yeah, he's a good fella. You're surrounded by a few rugby league people, so. Why rugby? How did you get into that? Um, yeah, I was always rugby league. Played a little bit of – our school was a big rugby league school. It was a big Indigenous community, and uh, they were very strong in the rugby league. We, we had a, a team that went really well in the old – what they called the Kelmworth Bank Cup. And uh, the rugby story, what happened there? This <laughs> is a bit of a long one. I actually – I didn't have a real good go at my first year 12 and dad sort of said I sort of played a bit too much sport and enjoyed life a little bit too much and uh, he said we wanted to have another go at it because I really wanted to get into college. I wanted to study sports science. I wanted to try and get down that pathway and I was taking my rugby league really serious and he said, well, you're going to have to back off a bit of training and a bit of, and put some more time in your studies and with that, at the exact same time, my little village started a rugby union club up called the Southwest Rocks Jailers. They were way back then. And it was a little more social and it was uh, the training commitment was a lot less than the, the rugby league stuff. And um, a lot of my mates were playing in it. So that's how I jumped over and uh, had a had a great time playing that and went away to college at Lismore and um, sort of stayed with it and was lucky to New South Wales country Rugby union, they were, they were a strong union and, and they, they took a tour of their under-19s kids away that year and I got on that and I think we went to Fiji and we went to Fiji and uh, I was hooked. Like I'd never been out of the country before and within six months of playing this great sport, I was I was on my way to Fiji with a bunch of uh, other country followers. So that was the sort of convoluted way I got there. But um, I remember playing at early days there. I'd, I thought rugby union was one tackle rugby league. We were all rugby league kids playing it we had no real idea what we were doing and when you got tackled everyone jumped on you and the ball never came out so it was uh you got one shot with the ball and you did your best with it but yeah that was my um unfortunately that the club's now defunct it's uh rugby league sort of taken over that little village it's got the rugby league clubs back up and running the league and the union has died so that's a bit of a shame for me because it um yeah it set me on the path i'm on Probably not the only person that's got that experience. I know that Phil Kearns often talks about the fact that his his club uh, no longer exists now either in the, in the south of Sydney. So that's interesting. How did um, you, you've gone to Fiji and spent a bit of time with the, the country New South Wales side? You get a shot pretty early on with with the Waratahs. Is it as, as a skills coach? Yeah, it was a yeah. The, the, that how that sort of came about. I did a couple of my university pracs with New South Wales Rugby, the holistic organisation. I was keen on becoming a. Well, I was originally wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach, but um, and I was doing a few pracs in that field because I was right into my fitness, and you wouldn't know it now looking at me. But um, I was right into my fitness, and uh, 
But I did a I did a prac at New South Wales rugby with uh, two fellows named Warren Rebilliard and John Searle, and they were as a development officer, <coughs> and just going out promoting the game, doing kids coaching clinics, and must have made an impression because I got a job first year out of uni with them. Yeah. I was in charge of the Newcastle district as a uh, development officer and did three great years up there. Uh, the wildfires were in the comp- in the shoot shield at that point, so I was getting to scratch that itch with playing as high level shoot shield rugby as I could and um and I guess learning learning the intricacies of the game. Uh moved from there to be the academy coach at the Waratahs and moved down to Sydney, joined Norse at that time. And again I was lucky. I was coaching really elite level academy kids. I was only young then, I was 24, 25 by then. Uh guys like Phil Ward, Dave Lyons, George Smith. They were all the kid Matt Dunning. They were all in our academy there, and um, and I again, I still was able to to play a good level of of shoot shield footy on the side. So that all worked well. And then the next step for me was sort of development officer, academy coach was up to that skills coach at the Waratahs, and um, I did that for one year and botched it. wasn't good at it. Uh, didn't really have the experience nor the skill set to to do it justice, and rightly so. Or the head coach. At the time, he got moved on because the results were mediocre. And as with that, all his staff did. So, um, yeah, that was that was sort of, yeah, I, I look back and I I remember the, how ill-equipped I was to do that job. Like I was working with Phil Kearns on line-out throwing, Matt Burke on goal kicking. and You had a, line, uh, you had a, uh, a nickname, didn't you? At the yeah, end? yeah, yeah. They gave me a few nicknames. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, no, they... Uh, yeah, I had a few nicknames at the end, but I, I, um, yeah, I was, I was just along for the ride there, and, um, and, uh, yeah, and and rightly so, and it was good because it obviously then opens up, sets me off on another path, and, um, but yeah, I, I remember the experience, like I, I was starstruck, like that we had a pretty start. Jason Little was the captain, Tian Strauss, Dick Harry, they'd just come back from winning the uh, the '99 World Cup, so it was. Um, tour in South Africa and New Zealand and I was literally a tourist with my, my jaw around my knees most of the time just sort of enjoying being in that scene as opposed to actually contributing to the team. It takes you over to, to Canada soon after and we're sitting at the moment in your backyard in Maroubra and you've got a former teammate slash a bloke that you used to coach a little bit here as well and um Looks like he's enjoying the sunshine that we've got today. Yeah, it's um, well, yeah, Albie, me, me good buddy from Canada, made the trip over for my fiftieth last weekend, so that was uh, that was an amazing surprise, and it just sort of hit home to the the friendships and the bonds you you make. Like that four years, I, I still credit that four years as four of the most formative and years in my coaching career. Like I, it was it was probably not much more than park sub-districts rugby or, or lower grade shoot shield rugby and I was bouncing from five six months a year in Calgary Alberta and then I'd jet over to Italy to a place called Benevento in the south of Italy and my good buddy Albi he, he did those treks with me he had an Italian descent so we got him in as a passported player in Italy and we did a, a fair few amazing years just bouncing back and forth there's a lot of rugby it was 45 46 weekends of rugby every every year but uh I think I learned then how to coach and how to how to bring people together and and it was tricky obviously in Italy you, 
the there was a language barrier to begin with and you you're trying to figure out a new language and a new league and they're a bit more volatile not as relaxed as they were in Canada about it um so yeah no that, those uh those years were amazing and they sort of set me up to come back and get my first shoot shield gig at Penrith in 2005 so it was um yeah, just just amazing memories and the friends I made. Obviously, Albie's one of them. But there's just Canada and Italy. Uh, I've got some of the greatest friends in my life from those four years I did. Penrith's an interesting place to turn up for your first shoot shield head coaching gig, and it probably was a little bit different back then. And I remember Dave Dennis was probably coming through the system almost around that time, but it's it's had its troubles over the years. Penrith and rugby and I suppose just Western Sydney and the culture of the rugby with rugby league and pathways, but good spot for you to land or, or did you find it difficult? Oh, it's tough. I got, and I ran fourth in the job interview process guy. I think the first place knocked it back. The second place had a go lasted two weeks. The third place get a, had a go, except that the job lasted three weeks. So uh, I was fourth on the list. They rang me in about December and I think I'd interviewed it in September. So it was actually three months, three months after I interviewed, I lobbed there. Um, they hadn't won a game in three years. Uh, that was, they were at, they've had varying, obviously mostly at the bottom, but they've had the odd successful year in there. Scotty Johnson prior to that had a good run with them. And, um, so yeah, I was, I was super keen. I had no name or anything like that, but I was keen to, to give it a shot. Um, I remember sitting underneath that grandstand. It must've been about, 45 degrees with my shirt off and a fan blowing on me and I'm ringing the registration sheet trying to talk players into locals just into coming out and so just give me one shot just come come and have come to one training run if you like it and you can stay around if not no worries and uh so yeah that was yeah you really learnt then how to how to make do with what you have we didn't have great resources or anything like that but we got a crew of blokes together and, and uh, like like I'd like to think with all my teams, they competed hard and and we became mates and uh, we won six games out of 20 that year, um, finished second last. We got over top of Gordon, which is quite ironical. Um, and uh, that sort of set me up to, to my next move and, and uh, yeah, got me a little bit of credibility, I guess, in the game. I remember we beat West Harbour. Joe Barraquette was coaching West Harbour and we beat him in round two. And it was literally like it was the biggest rugby story going because they hadn't won a game in three years. So uh, it got me a little bit of instant rugby fame, if there is such a thing. And um, yeah, just I guess reinforce that what I was doing, those or what I was learning those four or five years before abroad in in different countries where rugby isn't a major sport, still worked. You spent time in Japan, and then you've, you've come back and you, and you shoot shield again, and there's. Uh, Ringer, then there's Gordon. Premierships there, um, premierships that hadn't been won in a long, long time, decades mm. at, at both clubs. That must have made you think I am on the right track here, but for whatever reason, weren't necessarily getting highlighted, selected, thought of for higher honours. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, like obviously those. I had a purple patch. There's no doubt in that. Um, yeah, that, that period there from the Rats into into Gordon and then into LA, I think there was 
five seasons there with with three premierships and and both two of those teams were either startups or, or dead last before I got there. So yeah, it's, it's everything subjective, isn't it? Like people, uh, I'm I think in that that whole phase from maybe. 2000 and because I had a, after Penrith, I had I thought I did okay at, at Norse. We went from last to eighth, from eighth to fourth, and then I I stupidly jumped overseas again for my first ever decision I'd ever made in my life based on money, and that didn't work out financially and career-wise. It was a in hindsight, it was a poor decision. But in that period, I, I applied a lot for Super Rugby assistant jobs. I got there way too early as a 25 or six year old at the Tars and um and just kept missing out and uh but then I guess if yeah you just keep at it you keep persevering and and eventually I, I hit that run of winning things and uh and then someone and obviously now the Tars have, uh, have taken a chance on me um but again it's uh, just so many people contribute to that like when you win you get as a head coach you get a lot of the accolades but people don't see all the all the people that are in pedaling the pedaling the, the wheel as well. Like it's it's a really big team effort. But um, yeah, that, that's sort of how it rolled out, and it sort of got me to the spot I am. But I don't I don't ever now look at it and think um, I've made it or it's it's permanent. Like yeah, we dropped three games in a row in through February and March and you watch the heat will come out and the last five years count for nothing when uh, people are questioning your credentials. Get to the Waratahs in 2023 shortly. Um, what was more difficult, Gordon or, or Runga? Yeah, they were two, two great, great clubs, very historic. And what I do like doing at any shoot shield club I'm at is digging into the history and the people that are around it. And they've both got, great fabrics uh Ringer, Ringer, i'd just been fired actually for me so i didn't have a job and uh i took a took a want to take a 66 percent pay cut or 30 or a third of my salary from me so i had to go to to go to the rats and my wife had to go back to work and we, we actually that was a bit of a crossroads it was do i want to stay in this game or do i do i go and get a normal job and 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 make a normal income um but I stuck it out, and that group was ready to win. They had a lot of a lot of senior players, and then we obviously had the tragedy of, of Lockie Ward through that. So uh, that gave us a higher power. Like we were around six or seven, we weren't setting the light on the world on fire. We were three and four, I think, or four and three. And then Lockie's death, we take a couple of weeks off, and um, and we just pretty much go undefeated for the rest of the year. I find it hard of like. Canada, we won a few championships, and and, and Italy, and and LA, and, and and Gordon. There was nothing as emotional as that day in two seventeen when we won with the Rats. Like just what we, all the boys had gone through. Our captain Sam had lost his brother, and it was it was uh, yeah. That would still to this day be the most emotional, my emotionally invested I'd been in any football team or any pursuit of of a goal and we we're lucky to reach it. Gordon was, was a different one. It was personally satisfying because of where we'd come from. Like the team hadn't won a game in, give me years right here in uh, 219 in, sorry, in 218, they never won a game. I took over in 219 and we, we got up to the tapping on the door of the playoffs and just missed out. 
and then the next year to win it in that COVID riddled COVID riddled season. I think they only played fourteen game season that year. Was um was probably more personally satisfying around I felt like I'd found the formula then to, to pull a team together and, and get them from to believe in themselves and, and get going forward. So that was um that was probably satisfying professionally and the rats one was satisfying emotionally. And then the LA one the next year was probably on both fronts emotionally because it was a startup team. We'd all taken a risk to go there. Um, and it was a lot of legwork in, in starting a club in a COVID riddled Los Angeles from afar and, and, uh, combined with the fact I probably grew in confidence cause I'd gone then from coaching shoot shield and, and lower level super rugby players to coaching sort of some, big names in the game like Matt Gitto and Adam Ashley Cooper. So I left that experience, not only enjoying the experience, but professionally satisfied that we'd won. But I left there sort of going, well, these guys sort of tolerated me and put up with me. And I felt, I grew that I felt that I could actually start to coach at that next level. Before LA though, you you missed out on the Waratahs gig. Waratahs decided to go down the route of, of Rob Penny and we know that didn't work in the end, but for various reasons, perhaps it was a blessing in disguise missing out in that, that particular time. But was that hard to come back from? Because Australian rugby on the whole for a long time thought we've got to pay more attention to the grassroots of the game. We've got to listen to the, the folk there, the rugby, the tribalism. Here's a guy that has spent, 20 years going through half a dozen shoot shield clubs has managed to turn around the fortunes of two very, very quickly. Did you feel like, what am I doing in Australian rugby at any point if, if, if I keep getting snubbed? No, not really. No, I, obviously I, I interviewed for that job. I wanted it, but um, yeah, no, I, I didn't, I know a few people made a deal of it, but I probably didn't expect to. I, I didn't, have the runs on the board as a professional coach and um, of, of a professional franchise, particularly in Australia's biggest one. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I wasn't disincentivized. I'd, I'd been knocked back a million times before that. So I just water off a duck's back. I, as I said, I got up every morning and got to go and work with a, a motivated team. I think had I maybe younger or, or less balanced in my thoughts around what, what made me happy, could have um but as i said earlier like it, it genuinely d- doesn't worry me like it, if every day i can wake up and i'm with the calgary saints or the 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 benevento team in italy or the or uh gordon or whatever it may be if there's a bunch of guys there and they're committed and they care about each other and they're enjoying what they do i buzz into work and and, and i'm i'm enjoying it so no, it didn't deter me. I wasn't bitter with anyone. I just got on and, and yeah, Rob, uh, I, I got no qualms in saying Rob wore a lot of the pain for what I'm uh, feeling now. Him and, him and Timmy Rapp, they, they blooded a lot of young kids that I'm I'm benefiting off now. So I'm not, I'm not foolish in that aspect either. What's the real differences between going from Shoot Shield Club Rugby to coaching... Matt Guido and Adam Ashley Cooper and the under the bright lights of LA. Yeah. Um yeah, I oh, geez, that was uh 
that, that was a jump. I guess you just, I guess you just got to be on point more. Like you just got a higher higher IP of rugby intellect that will question you around what you're doing and why you're doing it. So you just got to be more. Yeah, you just got to be more detailed and and be be comfortable with being challenged on things and and not being precious. Um, you find when you yeah you're not a well credentialed coach or you're sort of a coach going up a level with some big name players. Yeah, you just need to be more on point. Um, and I and I felt at times I, I I did that better, but I still didn't go away from what my strengths were. Um, and I, I was confident in what I'd done the last three or four years at the Rats and Gordon that it worked. So I sort of just stayed with the same formula. And and a lot of coaching is it's a lot of working together. Like I don't have the the magic elixir for for an attack or defence. I facilitate and I I get people's opinions. And uh, in the end, I choose a path, but I take a lot of input into what path we're choosing. You. you come back to the Waratahs and you eventually get there after the pit stop via the, uh, the basketball there with the, <laughs> with the, with the NBA. I, I recall one of the first things that you said that you you really wanted to hear that noise, hear the noise at the Sydney Football Stadium, hear those marching down Paddington from the pubs and the bars around mm. there and see the, the blue-coloured jerseys. Um, is that how you remember the Waratahs? Yeah, definitely. Like it was when I firstly when I worked there in the late nineties, two thousands. It was a hot ticket. Like it was, I wouldn't say the stadium was full every week, but everyone knew who the Waratahs were and when they had a home game. And then I was overseas when it sort of those early two thousands with Warrior and Phil War and Chris Whitaker and. I do remember that. Like I remember, I was I was one of those people. I'd go and have a beer in in Paddington, and and you'd march down the hill together, getting there in time for kickoff, and the people in good spirits. And you watch all the great sport in the world, and there's that that patriotism for their team. And you watch fan armies marching to Premier League matches and those sort of things. People want to belong, and they want to go to an event, sporting event that's not only going to be exciting, but their team has a chance of winning. And and they can they can be emotionally connected, and that that was what the Waratahs did. And uh, so yeah, that that was a big thing for me. And I felt if you got that going, it means you're doing it right. Like if uh, obviously what happened at Leichhardt, we built as the season went along, and we went from three or four thousand to, to full houses at fifteen thousand. And to me, that was a, a reflection that we were, were on the right path. That people were were digging what the team was doing. They were prepared to come and support us. And and Leichhardt isn't the easiest place to get in and out of. It's not overly convenient for everyone, but yeah, I, I was uh, yeah, I felt like we we made good moves, and and that's a big part of what we did last year. We know last year won't be good enough again this year, but I think we're on the right path. What did you find challenging from 2022 in particular? And a quarterfinal appearance is is a good one, but I I do remember you saying, look, if we're not in the top eight, what are we doing here? Because there's only 12 clubs, 12 franchises in in the Super Rugby Pacific competition. Yeah, I don't I don't gloss over it. Like people saying they're finalists in Super Rugby, it's it does have there's pros and cons of a top eight in a 12 team comp. Um, the main pro is that it keeps all teams fans alive and everyone's a chance of making it for a while. 
the Connies, you can you can sneak in there without having a winning record. Um, but but I felt we snuck, we didn't sneak in there. We came in there strong. Actually, we had we had a great back half of the season against Kiwi teams. We had our had our had our wins. Uh, the Crusaders and Highlanders and Moana were all good wins. Two of them away, um, and we went down in the last play of the game against the Blues and albeit an understrength Blues, the Blues and the Canes. So. We were in every New Zealand game. The only, actually, ironically, the only team we that were out of our reach a bit was the Chiefs. They got us handily down in Melbourne, and they got us again in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, we were sixth, and I felt we deserved to be at least sixth. Like if we, um, if we were playing that quality of footy in the first half against the Aussie teams, we would have, we would have been higher than sixth. So um, yeah, making it was a goal, but um, yeah, now obviously the. The next goal is to, is to go a step further. I, I loved it that um, when you when you rocked up there, you said, "Look, um, we've got the demountables here, and you know, Rocky used to train in the in the back of a barn, and you know, we can do a similar sort of thing." Um, now the, the the high performance facility is there. There is a bit of expectation. There's a lot of Waratahs players in the Wallabies squad at the moment, albeit a new coach. So who who knows how Eddie Jones sees the the current picture, but when you look ahead, what do you think will be the most challenging aspect for the Tars in, in 2023? Yeah, well, we've had to screw up and throw away the the motivational handbook of last year. Like it um it probably didn't sit well with the Waratahs overall as an organization, but we had crappy facilities. So we had no wallabies, didn't want a game, and we had a rookie coach. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of things that and I and I use that at motivation. I I read a bit more social media than I should, and the comments around what people were expecting us to do in that 22 season was pretty motivating because no one no one gave us a shot. So I remember saying to my boys that Rocky analogy that we were Rocky and we we're going to get Ivan Drago. And I'll throw that out. Now we're Ivan Drago. We got all the uh, we got we got a strong team. We got a flash uh, we got a flash new training facility um, and a brand new stadium. And we're back to where we should be. The Waratahs in Sydney, it's Australia's biggest city. It's Australia's biggest lifeblood of rugby. It shouldn't be ever to call itself an underdog. If it is, it's probably in a low point that it was at the end of 21. So, um, yeah, we, we've had to, to to recalibrate what our goals are and what it means to be a Waratah. I want, I want our guys to – I want – this to be a hard team to make. If you if you're selected or you get a contract with the Waratahs, that's uh, it's a big deal. You're you're uh, I'll get laughed at, but you you're in the Chicago Bulls or you're in the you know what I mean. Like you're you're one of the big teams in in Australian sport. Like and eventually in in the rugby landscape, there's no reason the Waratahs with with what we have feeding into us, both player base and and the city of Sydney and it's it's the money that's around in Sydney and all those sort of things, the, the business connections, it it can't be the greatest provincial union in, in the world. And uh, I'm not coming out there trumpeting that we're, we're doing that immediately, uh, but that's what I want our players to feel like and that's what I want them to, to shoot for. And um, and that starts with now taking a, a step forward in 23. we got a... a top eight or sneaking into the top eight, which was my goal last year, isn't good enough. We, we want to be in the top four. We want to have home playoff games. We want we want to dominate the Wallabies selections at the World Cup. Um, 
we want players from other teams looking over the fence going, I want to be there. That That's a high-performance environment that's fun to be in and wins games of football in front of full stadiums. I don't think uh, that's everyone's dream in our organisation. Did you have any initial feedback with guys like Chris Whitaker because you were that skills coach back then when, when Wits had the hair and... <laughs> He was he was he was a very very good player. Only twenty odd tests, I think, but far out he could play. And if it wasn't for George Gregan, he would have played a lot more. But you know, there's Matt Burke who rocks up at a the unveiling of the high performance mm. facility. He was he was the bloke that you were trying to kick once upon a time, and it was yeah. probably the bloke coming up with the nickname. What was the what was the feedback that you got from guys of that ilk? Yeah. It was... Like Dickie Harry, Richard Harry, he was in that no, 2000 team that I that I was one of the support coaches with. Not a lot, really. Like I, as in, I interviewed with both Dickie and and Berkey. They were on one of the four panels I interviewed with. It was a pretty exhaustive process. Um, and the tricky thing was, I think Chris was in in the involved in the process at some degrees herself. Him and Gilly had coached the team the year before and were keen to go again. So. There was a few moving parts. Um, I think the whole time through it, I just presented who I was and what I, how I wanted to do things and how I do things. And they're quite unique. They're not, they're not the norm for, for most professional coaches. Both my pathway isn't isn't normal, nor how I look at things or how um how people judge me is probably a little different than your stock standard. Um, so if they wanted to take the pun on me and and it was pretty much let me do it my way and, and back me. And if I, if I succeed, well, then you're the decision maker that's made it. You'll get the pats on the back. If I don't, then punt me. So, um, but Wits, Wits is a, an amazing human. He was, he was one of the first guys that, that reached out and not because he wanted to stay on staff, just because, yeah, he's a good guy. He was always, always a most humble and, there's not many people that think of others more than Chris does. Like he'll he'll walk in and he'll give you a seat up. He'll give the shirt, proverbially give the shirt off his back for anyone. And um, so yeah, no, it was it's good. And he's given us a good connection. The players, they see the passion that he cares about this team. And even recently, we organised a an old boys reunion lunch, and we got some legends. We had thirty, I think, ex Waratah legends come back and. Had a long lunch with my playing group, and when Wits and I were going through trying to pick the um, who we could invite because it's a touchy subject, who who invites and who gets invites and who doesn't, that um, anyone that left the Tars in Wits's book <laughs> was uh, was going to be struggling to get an invite. <laughs> so uh, there were some guys there that had played at a few teams in Australia, but not many had left the Tars. You could come to the Tars second and lock in, but if you left, uh, Wits is off you, and that's because. Uh, of how uh, he bleeds blue. I know it's a cliche, but he genuinely bleeds blue. This is going to be interesting. There's, there's selection headaches. In the past, you might have been thinking, okay, well, it's a pretty obvious starting 15. That's not the case in 2023. You've got a guy called Ben Donaldson who went and toured with the Wallabies, but you've also you know, got a pretty talented, hard guy that did his time and shoot shield like Tane Edmund. Got young, talented guys like... A young Bowen there going through the ranks. You've got a Max Jorgensen. Uh, there's talent there. Uh, what's going to be the hardest access about you know, the selection piece of the puzzle? Yeah, getting it right, isn't it? It's going to, it's going to be tricky. Um, and it's a short season. So, yeah, 
you can't afford too many slip-ups. Um, I think we've done a pretty good job. I see Pat Moan back here, but I feel like with the roster, we've got a good mix of experience and, and youth. Like uh, we've brought back some players that have added age to our roster, obviously Kirtley and, and, and Tolu and Namani Nandolo, uh, really experienced players that go with the Hoopers and now the Jed Holloways and Jake Gordons who are near in the back half of their career and the ex higher end of experience. Then you throw in all those young, exciting players. Um, but the beauty, a lot of those guys are, are now, uh, say Bowen and Jorgensen, they're sort of, Jorgensen, they're, they're rookies, but your Edmeds, your Donaldsons, your Will Harrisons, uh, they're all... Um, going into third and fourth and fifth year, they're sort of starting to hit their prime. Will Harris, all those guys. So that's uh, we've got a really good balance. We've got the the top end covered. We've got some good of those, a bunch of those four and three, four, five-year players that nerves isn't a big part of them. And then we've got some exciting young first years that all just keep the group. It's good for longevity. It's good for succession planning. It's good for the, the future of the team. But it's also great for that. The old blokes feed down experience and lessons to the young blokes and the young blokes give energy and enthusiasm to the old blokes. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm really comfy with where the roster's sitting at the moment, considering where it was 12 months ago or 18 months ago, that we've got a, a good spread. And bar one or two, <clears throat> I think I could comfortably say in every position, we lose a player to injury and we won't miss a beat where our, our issue will come and it's no different to any team. If you lose two or three in the same positional group, you start to dig in. But um, yeah, we, we could we could lose a player in every position and there's a, the, the second string player in that position will be equal, if not uh, potentially even play better. Then obviously the throw into that mix is the Wallaby resting. We've got to sit out some guys. Um, so that will um, come into it. There'll be some tactical decisions around when and how we do that. Um, we're hearing it's not changing from what Ren, Dave Rennie had sorted out to what Eddie's doing. So hopefully, because um, we've got a bit of a plan around how we'll do that and and it involves starting strong. Like we're going to have our round one, we'll have our best team available out there and we want to you got to get the boat moving. So we'll, we'll, we'll have our best team out for the first month at least of the competition and try and accrue points, get confidence, get up the top of the ladder and then start uh, looking at when blokes are due for a break. Um, how important is beating the Brumbies round one? And I know that Hamish McLennan and others, Eddie Jones was speaking recently about the importance of people doing their bit for rugby, getting off their backs, turning the Netflix off, getting down to support Super Rugby franchises, whether it's you know at the gates in the, the state before. Um, watching it on, on stand, how, how vital is it to start well to... Yeah, massive. Again, we've we've put a big emphasis on it. I, I, I haven't um, haven't shied away from that. Poop said to me the other day, he said, "What are we going to do if we lose that first game?" I said, "I'll worry about that if we cross if we hit that bridge." But yeah, we've put a lot of emphasis into that round one. We just feel it's just such a great occasion. Like the it's first Super game at the stadium, first time the Tars are back at their home. We're playing a local derby, the top team in Australia. There have been for a long time. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a blockbuster. And and you want to play in big games. The boys want to play in, in massive games. So, again, I'm a romantic at heart. 
But um, my goal is for those boys to walk out of that tunnel with that place, 42,000 and full and, and people just having a great experience. And then if we, we do perform well and we win, they come back and, and, and all of a sudden where uh, the Tars are a hot ticket in town again. Um, finishing up, your, your pathways, your shoot, shield, your club rugby through and through, what would you say to someone who's thinking twice about it? Because there are those people that still go, we've got to invest more in the grassroots. We've got to stop thinking about the rugby league players that we can sign. We've got to go local. We've got to go tribal. What do you say to them who are on the fence? Yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky one, isn't it? Like I, whenever I've gone to a club and, and our sports obviously had a little bit of a, a tough run at the moment. When I go to a club at the bottom, you can't you can't rebuild it from the bottom alone. It takes too long. A and B, if they haven't got stars to look up to or, or idols to to want to invest in or role models, then you're not going to get kids playing it. So. I genuinely feel we've got to do it at both ends. Like we've got to make sure our grassroots, but as Eddie's touched on, I heard him interviewed last night, we've got to be in the top three or four in the world. Like we've got to have a, we've got to have a Wallaby team that kids can um, aspire to and want to come and play. We've got to have a Waratahs team because we're a big union in a, in a big city that again is at the top and, and kids go and they've got heroes. They've got, you know what I mean? They've got the Phil Wars, they've got the Chris Whitakers, they've got the guys that like Adam Ashley Coopers, uh, Michael Hoopers, all those guys that they're, that's what puts kids' interest into the game. Um, so, yeah, uh, decision makers above my head were a tougher decision than me, but I generally feel you build a sport from the top and the bottom at the same time and the roots drip down and the leaves grow up and it sort of meets in the middle. So, yeah, we've got to put time into our juniors and and uh, and resources into our juniors. Um, but we've got to have stars of the game as well. And and hopefully all those stars are rugby union guys. But I don't know if there was a if there was a league kid and and he and he did what Lottie could do in the game or or, or whatever Wendell if he's worth ten thousand people to a game. I do understand why people administrators make those decisions. Um, so yeah, no. It, and as far as the Tars in, in 23, I just love, um, like they did in 22, I'd love people to give us a chance. Come to one game. Um, I, I know the whole marketing department, the, the match day entertainment, all those sort of things. After that stint in LA, it really hit home to me that sports entertainment is more than just the product on the field. Our job is to get that. Don't get me wrong. Well, I'm not hiding from that fact. But our organisation is really... Um, was really committed to that match day experience being good, involving junior kids, fireworks, music, all those sort of things that maybe 80-year-old members won't be as chuffed about, but if it gets people coming in the gate and kids uh, enjoying it and, and families having good time at the footy, uh, I'm all for it. So uh, get to that round one, I guess it's a sales pitch, but um, if you're gonna, if there is a game of footy you're gonna go to this year in Sydney, get to round one Waratahs v Brumbies. It'll be a great game of footy and uh, hopefully we can win you over from there. Darren Coleman, great to join you and, and really intriguing year and, and really decade ahead with mm. Olympics, World Cups, uh, British and Irish Lions series, but it all starts 2023. Thanks, Darren. Great. Thanks, Christian.